Hello. Good evening. If you are tuning into this, the appropriate time at the end of the retreat, good morning or good afternoon, if you're watching this on a recording. I would like to congratulate you all for finishing the uh, first two days of the four-day retreat at New Life Foundation online. Uh, it's always an accomplishment uh, to finish a program like this one. And even if you've just come and done a few of the modules, congratulations. And I say congratulations with no uh, light-hearted manner. It's truly an undertaking to sign up for a retreat. It's a commitment, a promise to yourself. And why do we come on a meditation retreat? Well, it's to study the self, to learn about ourself, to deepen our relationship with ourself, and to deepen a practice which is used to strengthen our relationship with ourself, some sort of contemplative practice. And so when we deepen our relationship, our understanding of ourself, we deepen our relationship and understanding with the world and how we relate to other people and how we relate to others. I often get the question, you know, if I, spending all of this time doing these practices, meditating, isn't it self-indulgent? How am I really benefiting the world? But the greatest gift that we can give others is our pure self, our pure heart, our pure intention. And so we come to these types of retreats, we come to the practices of meditation, of mindfulness, of art, therapy, and counseling. We do these practices and endeavors so that we can get in touch with that pure self and then in turn offer that to our friends, to our family, to strangers, to people we don't know, to people we don't like, and Eventually, we offer that to the entire world. And drop by drop, ideally, we make a more beautiful ocean. And so the practices that I have been really diving deeply into offering uh, on the New Life uh, page and in my own practice, my own retreat time, are the practices of the four immeasurables, or they're known as the Brahma Viharas. These are the qualities of uh, compassion, equanimity, joy and loving-kindness. Now these work in similar ways to the practice of mindfulness in that they help us to come into pure contact with the present moment. But mindfulness comes to the practitioner through the practices of wisdom. When one practices mindfulness, they follow the breath, feeling the body, and watching the mind. And through that observation, 
a certain type of wisdom, a certain type of insight is cultivated through that non-judging view of ourself, we learn to view others and the unfolding of life through the eyes of non-judgment. That's how mindfulness works. I love it. Beautiful practice. I spent quite a bit of time still doing mindfulness practices myself. In fact, my first book, Such Sweet Thunder, is a book on mindfulness practice. But as my teaching and my own practice has evolved, I began to realize that mindfulness is not enough. It's one half of the equation. The other half is compassion or heartfelt practices. Compassion, equanimity, loving kindness and joy. And if you go back to the Buddhist traditions, uh, it is taught or claimed or cited that the enlightened individual uh, is comprised of equal parts wisdom and equal parts compassion. So wisdom without compassion, insight without loving kindness can turn into a form of tyranny. And loving kindness or compassion without insight or wisdom can form into a type of, or can degrade rather, into a type of despair or into a type of an addiction quality. So the balance of heartfelt practice and mindfelt practice uh, is really where I'm coming from. And so the reasons why I'm emphasizing these heartfelt practices these days is because I can see that there's a, a great imbalance in uh, the meditation community where heavily emphasizing these mindfulness-based practices and not a lot of emphasis on the heart-based practices. There's a lot of emphasis on the wisdom, but not a lot of emphasis on the compassion. So I thought, well, this is my task. So let's talk a little bit about the four immeasurable hearts or the four immeasurable minds loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Because these are so applicable to the current world climate. Uh, loving-kindness breaks down uh, our self-centered striving. And really allows us to welcome in the present moment, regardless of the forms that are contained within that present moment. Loving kindness is this open, heartfelt embrace of what is right now. It's a warmth, an openness, and an embrace. Now, some of you might be familiar with loving kindness practice a very traditional practice where one goes into the silence of meditation, maybe spends 10 or 15 minutes just with the breath and the body. And then in that silence of meditation, we bring up uh, what's known as metta phrases or loving kindness phrases. We offer that first to our own heart, and then we offer that to the hearts of our loved ones, of strangers, of people we don't like, and eventually we expand that circle to the entire world. This is quite important. And so it unfolds in that way. So we start with the self. I'll just go through the phrases for ourselves very quickly. Uh, please do follow along. 
May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live a life of peace without struggle. May I open to things just as they are. May I experience the world opening to me just as I am. May I welcome whatever arises. And so those are the loving kindness phrases that I use. Now these phrases come in many forms in many different traditions, uh, but I've selected these phrases because they're worded in such a way that they intentionally cause a hook. There's a resistance. And so the resistance is there to show us how we close down to certain forms of loving-kindness. Now, you may have felt an opening, maybe heart opening or warmth. May I be happy, ah, you just felt happy. That's fine, there's no resistance there. Just rest in that experience. Now, ideally, in the silence of meditation, you would offer the first phrase, may I be happy. And then you sit with that phrase for about a minute, 90 seconds or so, visualizing or imagining how your life would look or feel if that phrase was completely reflective of your life circumstance. Some really profound phrases there, right? May I open to things just as they are. And you turn on the news and you think, well, how does one open to things just as they are when all of this is unfolding? And so I ask you then, what is the option When you close down to things just as they are, does that change the outcome in the world? When we open and welcome things as they are, particularly when we find them so distasteful, there's a serenity there. The heart just pops and a certain type of relaxation occurs. Right, I can open to this. Now that doesn't mean we condone bad behavior with this, but what it does do is it allows us to have more energy available to address the distasteful situations. We're more readily available to move in to that situation without the emotional reactivity. 
So when we move forward free from emotional reactivity, when we move forward to address a cultural imbalance, when we move forward to address racism, for example, without the emotional reactivity, we have a lot more power because we're not giving the we're not giving the opposing side anything to push back on. And in fact, it dissolves the opposing side. People want to work with you when you move forward to address an imbalance free from reactivity, free from anger, free from hysteria, free from strife. People want to work with you because the energy is moving in that direction. And so then we cultivate this for our own heart. And as I said at the beginning of this talk, we then use that to benefit others, not only in this way of addressing imbalances, but then we send uh, this loving-kindness quality uh, to loved ones, strangers, enemies, and then finally the whole world. Now, if anybody is interested in this type of practice, I have many guided meditations on my website and on YouTube uh, where I guide each stage of loving-kindness practice uh, systematically. Each meditation is about a half an hour long. And if you do that once a day, uh, you spend about two weeks on each stage, two weeks on the self, two weeks loving kindness for a loved one, two weeks loving kindness for a stranger, and so forth. After two or three months, you have such a firm, strong foundation in loving kindness practice. Again, works the same way as mindfulness practice does in that it dissolves the boundary between self and other. Mindfulness does that through wisdom. Loving kindness does that through the heart or through compassion like that. So two roads going to the same ends. Now, if one has a mindfulness practice already, beautiful. It works really well if you do alternating days. So Monday, mindfulness. Tuesday, loving-kindness. Wednesday, mindfulness. Thursday, loving-kindness. They actually feed off of each other and they keep both practices fresh. Uh, so that, that can be a really great practice schedule like that. Now you don't have to do a half an hour every day. That's kind of optimal. But if you can do even five minutes a day, seven minutes a day, great. Most importantly, particularly if you're just starting a meditation practice, is to do it consistently. So even if it's just two minutes a day, but you do it every day, that's the, the idea. And then once the consistency uh, takes root, once the habit and pattern is established, you do five minutes a day. And then when that feels like it's too short, you do seven minutes a day. When that feels like it's too short, 10 minutes a day, and so forth. And this is so that the meditation itself never begins to feel like a chore. Meditation should never feel like a chore. And if it ever does feel like, ah, I really don't want to meditate today, it might be a good idea to take that day off. Come back the next day. Or you can sit through it because sometimes you feel like you don't want to meditate and then you start meditating and it actually ends up being quite a good session. Beautiful. It came and it went like everything else. So that's good and then you just continue your practice as normal. So you can give it two or three days. Maybe if you sit, you, first you say, oh, I don't want to meditate today. It's too long, I'm too busy, whatever. Sit, if it's a drag, and the next day you feel that same way again before you sit, take that day off. We always, we never want anything negative surrounding a meditation practice. 
So again, start light and allow the habit to take root and then begin to cultivate uh, the length of time. An ideal length of time to really get the most out of your practice is roughly at least 25 to 30 to 35 minutes. Some experienced practitioners sit for hours. That's fine, that's great, good for them. Okay, so that's loving kindness practice in a nutshell. Uh, and so the way I see it is the Brahma Viharas, love and kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, is like a prism. And we shine the light of awareness down on that prism. And so if we're holding the prism this way, I wish I had a real prism, that would have been nice. We're shining the light down on this prism and it's refracting out this beautiful rainbow color of loving kindness. You can imagine that. And then we shift to the prism. That, that awareness is still beaming down, but we shift the prism and the light refracts in a different way. And that's the light of compassion. And so the compassion phrases, this practice works exactly the same way as loving kindness, but I'll just go through the phrases uh, rather quickly so you can see what I'm talking about with that changing of the shape of the light. Uh, the compassion phrases, may I be free from suffering. May I be free from disturbance and harm. May I accept things just as they are. May I experience the world accepting me just as I am. May I serve whatever arises. So that's a bit of a different flavor, right? You see how that prism has shifted. The light now is refracting in a different way. And so uh, the first phrase from loving kindness, may I be happy, may I be free from suffering. It's different. You know, one can be free from suffering and not happy, right? One can be really happy, uh, but, and that generally implies some sort of freedom from suffering, but the flavor is different. Where we really start to notice a, a shift in these phrases is the third phrase. Uh, may I open to things just as they are, loving kindness. And compassion, may I accept things just as they are. So compassion is kind of this witnessing quality, almost. May I accept things. Loving kindness has this opening and embracing this warmth. Compassion accepting the present moment. Loving kindness opening and embracing to the present moment. So quite a bit of a different quality there. The fourth phrase, may I experience the world accepting me just as I am. Wow. What kind of world would you live in if the entire world accepted you just as you are? Imagine that, visualize that, feel that. Now the mind might say, oh, that's impossible, or that'll never happen. Those are resistances. That's okay. We don't try to change those resistances during the practice. We just notice them. We notice how we're closing down. Because the world accepting us just as we are, that is living in a compassionate world. 
And so whatever reason, there might be a resistance there. We don't need to analyze that. We don't need to go into that. Just, just see and experience the resistance. Eventually, those resistances do start to dissolve. But usually, it's not during the meditation practice. Usually, the resistances to loving kindness or compassion start to dissolve when we're out in everyday life. We come to meditation and we bring these phrases to our, first to our own heart and then to others. These phrases get into us, they get under our skin, and they dig into our mind, into our heart, uh, like worms. They're kind of weaving their way through our mind and heart. And then suddenly, sometimes very suddenly without warning, we'll be out mixing with people and something might occur that, you know, we seem, that seems distasteful, but we open, we accept it. Again, we can't, we don't condone that, but we accept it with the open heart. We accept the human condition as it's arising and then if it needs addressing, we can move forward from that place of acceptance rather than from that place of condemnation. When we move forward with acceptance, there's very little, if any, resistance. When we move forward with condemnation, that's when the wars start. So there's that much power in compassion that we can move forward with change without inciting uh, a reaction to that change. Very powerful. Because when we encounter life, when we experience life, that's our life, right? <laughs> and so what a great gift to be able to accept what's arising just as it is. That's our life. We're accepting our life. But so often, right, we fall into this reaction and we're pushing away our experience. Or the other side, we're grasping and clinging to our experience. Or somewhere in the middle, where our experience just falls as a kind of bland indifference on our awareness. So generally we're reacting to life out of those three options. Reacting uh, out of the experience of attraction, clinging, grasping, aversion, pushing away, that arises fear, hatred, anger, or indifference, which feels like boredom or that type of experience, prejudice, racism, that's all uh, symptoms of indifference. Compassion practice, loving kindness practice, allows us to drop that reactivity and really move into the present moment, really embrace the present moment with a newfound gusto and vigor. Very, very powerful stuff. So I'll just talk a little bit about the next Brahma-vihara, which is equanimity. And on a personal note, equanimity was really the, the one that hooked me. Uh, I love equanimity practice, uh, probably because a great portion of my training has been in uh, the Zen tradition. And uh, Zen really has a heavy emphasis on equanimity. Uh, and so I did much, much training in Zen. Uh, then I, I changed teachers. I ended up studying in the Tibetan lineage, which I'm still studying in today. I'm a slow learner, what can I say? Uh, so uh, still studying in the Tibetan traditions today. Uh, but when I came across the Brahma Viharas in my training, uh, equanimity, it was like putting on an old pair of shoes because it's very similar to, to Zen practice and quite similar to mindfulness practice, actually. This is where uh, they, mindfulness traditions, the wisdom tradition, 
and the heartfelt traditions really, um, they come close on that highway, up, up the evolution highway, like that. So equanimity is really about seeing things the way they are, free from our preferences and prejudices. And so I'll just go through the equanimity phrases. Again, it's the same practice. Uh, one would go into the silence of meditation, allowing the body, mind, and heart to settle, and then bringing up these very precious phrases of equanimity, first to our own heart, then to the hearts of others. Now, there are other equanimity practices as well. Sorry, I digress. Um, but these are the most accessible and the easiest to deliver in this format. So the equanimity phrases are, and I'll use the pronoun we for this. So may we be free from preference and prejudice. May we know things just as they are. May we experience the world knowing us just as we are. May we welcome, sorry, that's loving kindness. May we serve whatever arises. Equanimity, may we serve whatever arises. And there, since I mentioned that, I can point out the fluctuation. You see the prism is shifting now. May we welcome whatever arises. May we serve whatever arises. Right. Sorry, may we serve whatever arises is compassion. I just want to get the phrase here. Uh, how embarrassing. May we see into whatever arises. So I'll just go through the equanimity phrases again. May we be free from preference and prejudice. May we know things just as they are. May we experience the world knowing us just as we are. May we see into whatever arises. And so that's the equanimity practice there. And as I was saying, the prism shifts just slightly. Uh, the first phrase, and it seems like the first phrase for each of these four is kind of a setting the stage. It's the actual shift is happening there, right? May we be happy, uh, loving kindness, compassion. Uh, may we be free from suffering. That's quite a shift there. And then uh, may we be free from preference and prejudice. And we can kind of see how preference and prejudice leads us to suffering. And freeing ourselves from that leads us to happiness. So they are, we can see the connection there, but we can also see how dramatically different they are. May we experience the world knowing us just as we are. So we went from experiencing the world opening to us in loving kindness. May we experience the world uh, seeing us or accepting us, compassion. May we experience the world knowing us, equanimity. 
knowing us free from preference and prejudice, knowing us exactly as we are. And what kind of world would that be for you to inhabit if the world could open to you and to accept you and then to know you just as you are? Can you imagine that? Can you feel that? Feels pretty good, right? Wouldn't you want other people to feel that too? And that's how it happens. Very slowly, very gradually, we feel how good it would be in our meditation. And then we naturally, because it feels good, want to extend that to other people in everyday life. And then they experience that from you. Maybe they don't meditate, maybe they're not into mindfulness or into yoga or into journaling. It might just be some guy who works at the grocery store or somebody you were introduced to recently. Or it might be a close friend, but now you have this skill cultivated and you open to them just as they are, or you try to know them without your preferences and prejudices. What a gift that you're giving that person. They, they might not know it, but they'll feel it. And that feeling, them, them receiving that well, it might be very overt, but it could be very subconscious as well. But eventually, they will give that to other people. And then those people will give it to other people. And those people will give it to other people. And so this is how we begin to benefit the entire world through our practice. It's this slow burn. So they say, still waters run deep, right? So we first feel it for ourselves. What, what would this world be free from our preferences and prejudices? If we could know things just as they are, right? There's no conjecture now, right? Your boss calls you, can we have a meeting today? And the mind, oh, is he going to fire me? Am I going to get a raise? Am I going to get a promotion? Did I do something wrong? All of that doesn't exist anymore in equanimity. May I know things just as they are. My boss called me. That's exactly as it arose. That's all complete present moment awareness. And that's where the mindfulness, where the Zen practice really comes in with the Brahma Viharas. Last one. I know you all must be exhausted and tired and ready to get to work. <laughs> Hopefully inspired. Okay, the last one is joy. Now some teachers teach this as sympathetic joy or altruistic joy. That's beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. But I find that quite limited, actually. That limits our joy uh, to joy we can celebrate others' success. And that's great. You can practice that too. When, when you see that other people are successful, particularly people in your line of work, people you might be competing with, Find your joy in their joy. Find your happiness in their happiness. Joy is wonderful in that it helps to break down our experience of despair. Remember this, particularly in this world climate. You turn on the news, oh, oh my goodness, despair. In that moment of despair, Remember something that you enjoy and go do it. Whether it's a Brahma Vihara practice or mindfulness practice or going to see a movie or, or whatever it is, bring joy back into your life and it cancels out that experience of despair. 
Now I have a couple of other suggestions of working with despair, but I want to do this joy practice first. So here it is, joy. Now we've come to meditation, we're sitting in silence, breath, body, allowing the mind to settle for about 10 minutes or so. And in that silence of meditation, we bring these phrases, these very beautiful phrases of joy, first to our own heart. May we enjoy the activities of life itself. May we enjoy things just as they are. May we experience the world taking joy in all that we do. May we know what to do, whatever arises. And so those are the practices on joy. And so I'm presenting it in this way so you can kind of go through the presentation and see which ones resonate with you. Might be joy, might be equanimity, like it was for me when I first started these. Might be compassion. It might be loving kindness. But select one. And it might take a little shopping. But select one. And then dig deep into that practice. Spend about three months, three to four months on each of these practices. So that's about a year's worth of practice there. And that should get you started. I've been doing these practices uh, pretty consistently for many, many years. And they do just keep going and keep unfolding. I was uh, giving a, a class on compassion a few days ago, and something shifted. I've been doing these practices for almost 20 years, 15 years, about 15 years. Wow, the gift that keeps giving. So don't worry if you've just listened to this presentation and Hopefully you got a little inspired, but you don't feel that much more compassionate or loving. Hopefully you feel a lot, but you might not. And maybe you do a week or two of loving kindness uh, practice, for example, and you, you're not feeling that much. That's normal, that's fine. Each time you do a practice, you're planting the seeds. And eventually those seeds do start to bear fruit. But it just takes some time, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it takes time for the soil to become fertile in the heart, uh, for us to get adjusted and accustomed to this type of practice. And then eventually those seeds bear fruit and then things start to shift. So don't come to these practices and expect uh, after a week or two, you'll be this dramatically different person. It's usually a very slow, gradual burn. And I keep using the term slow burn because it really does work to burn up the ego. It's like rubbing two sticks together. And the one stick is the stick of awareness and the other stick is the stick of compassion and you're banging them together like two stones. And eventually they cause a fire within the ego, and the ego starts to dissolve like that.
just honestly sending loving kindness, sending compassion out to people we don't like, sending joy out, equanimity out to people who, who have wronged us, perhaps. That's very counterintuitive. It's very, it goes against the grain of our ego. And because we're pushing against the grain in that way, eventually the ego starts to dissolve and we become more available for our life, more available for the present moment at hand. One more thing, working with despair. So I mentioned joy, beautiful way of working with despair. Another way to work with despair is first really learn what despair or any form of aversion feels like in your body. Usually in the body, but you can feel it in your mind or your heart too. But if you can feel it in the body, that's a really good place to catch it because uh, in the physical sensations of anger, despair, hatred, confusion, uh, it hasn't really gotten to the point of reactivity yet. So when you feel despair arising, let's use the example of despair, but any form of aversion, anger works too, hatred, rage, confusion, jealousy is a good one. You feel that coming up in the body. That is your meditation bell. That is your mindfulness bell. You feel the tension and with despair, it could be kind of a, a tightness behind the eyes or watering tears, maybe a clenching of the jaw. You might feel it in your shoulders, despair, maybe in the gut. And this might've been, you just turn on the news and you see, you know, dreadful news that's happening all around the world. Oh, what's happening? Despair. As soon as you notice it, as soon as you remember, that's your meditation bell. As soon as you hear that bell, transmute that despair into kindness. Okay, do something productive, do something kind. Doesn't have to, uh, doesn't have to relate to what the trigger of despair was, it doesn't matter. Uh, so you feel that despair, call up your friend. I just wanted to say what a great person you are. Or send an email to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. You are so lovely, I miss you. What are you doing these days? Or it could be somebody you talked to yesterday. It doesn't really matter. Do something kind. Give a gift. You don't have to give the keys to your car or your house or anything like that. You can give a poem. Uh, you can send somebody a link to a song. Uh, just thinking about you. Beautiful. Or if you want to do something that correlates with the trigger of despair, and maybe it's something on the news that was politically activating, uh, call a senator, call, call a government official, call the mayor, you know, get out on, onto a voting campaign, whatever it is. But don't allow the despair to fuel the reactivity, because then that action that you move forward with will be endowed with that energy of despair, and that will bring an equal and opposite reaction. You feel the despair. <sighs> that doesn't really feel that good, does it? Okay, let's do something kind. Put that down, move forward into kindness like that. This way, every experience of despair becomes the fruit of loving kindness, becomes the seeds, rather, of future experiences of loving kindness, of future experiences of compassion, not only for yourself, but for the entire world. Once again, I have guided meditations for all four of these uh, Brahma Viharas, the four immeasurables, loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Uh, on my website, suchsweetthunder.org, 
They're available on my YouTube channel as well. They're all for free. I'm not here trying to sell anything or promote anything. Uh, I'm also doing a Facebook Live program, uh, and I'm on Chapter 2, Compassion now. I did a whole two-week series on loving-kindness. Uh, they're all up on Facebook as well, on the New Life Foundation page and on my personal Facebook page. Uh, I'm in Chapter 2, Compassion, about to start Chapter 3, Equanimity. Uh, so you can catch it all there, uh, live or recorded, however uh, suits your needs and schedule. Once again, congratulations on completing uh, this wonderful, wonderful endeavor. Uh, whether you're just now starting down the path of contemplative uh, exploration, or if you've been practicing meditation or yoga or whatever your practice is, if you've been practicing for years and years and you're just here to deepen your practice, wonderful. Congratulations. Uh, I, I salute you in the highest way. Much love. Much light. I'll ring the bell. I'll make it official.